<laughs> we got. We don't have a, a timer ticking down. You can say all the words. <laughs> I can try to say all the words. <laughs> You know, it's easy to say, hey, we need a good culture. We want to have a good culture. We want a winning culture. We want to win a championship. And then it's another thing to kind of empower the people that are going to make it happen. Eric Thames has some pipes. No, he has guns. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 128, where we remind you that we are only 75% short of being elected to the Hall of Fame. I'm Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing tonight? I'm good. You? I'm good. No limbs have fallen off today in the cold, so I'm considering it a win and moving on from there. <laughs> <laughs> I like the optimism. <laughs> Uh, we do have a show for you, and I don't know why we call it a show. Maybe it's a program, because we're not really showing you anything. We have uh, Freddie Galvis signing, and a maybe a goodbye to Danny Barnes, which would be weird. Uh, Roy Halladay went into the Hall of Fame, posthumously and thankfully, uh, but he went in without a logo on his cap. Uh, we have all kinds of prospect lists that we are going to briefly review. We have an interview with Kevin Smith. We have your questions. Uh, we're going to hand out a gold star to a former Blue Jay who I, I'm kind of sad he's a former Blue Jay, to be honest. And uh, yeah, and sundry items, as it were. We shall begin. The Blue Jays, I was starting to worry we weren't going to have anything different in the composition of the roster than last time we talked. And it turns out the Blue Jays have bailed me out by signing Freddie Galvis. Yeah, it would have been an interesting show if it's like, okay, so there were practice lists in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Feeling time there would have been tough. But as you said, we got bailed out again by the Blue Jays. They did this last time with the two signings of the pitchers. But, I mean, Freddie Galvis is a shortstop. <laughs> That's something the Jays didn't have before this, so yay. Well, they had first they had too many shortstops, and then they had no shortstops. I think, I think like, it's like the Goldilocks offseason here. Yeah. I mean, I, this isn't to sell Lourdes Correll completely short. I mean, there is a, still a chance he can play shortstop, but he he did struggle there last year, and you know, then the team has in the past hinted that they didn't want to just hand him that job because, you know, he can play second. He can play the outfield even if they need to. And he might have a lot of value as a utility player, but it's nice to get an actual strong defensive shortstop onto the roster. Which is cool. Um, Galvis has a, a weighted runs created plus of 85. So he is, you know, for a shortstop, he's not horrible, but he's certainly a below-average hitter. So you definitely want to make sure he's he's shoring you up defensively there, which is where the we, despite having a glut of infielders, the Blue, the Blue Jays ended up short on shortstops. Yeah, I mean this is sort of what they had last year, right? They had a bunch of guys who can play all over the infield without really playing short, and then they traded Aladdin Diaz, so they, that's all they had left. And you know he'll fit right in. Obviously, he's you know low on base percentage, a bit of power. So. <laughs> It's half the team, but <laughs> does he strike out a lot? I hope he strikes out a lot. He does actually, but awesome. <laughs> you know, well, one thing about Galvis, I mean, like aside from being an extremely, well, not extremely, but he, like he's a very solid defensive shortstop, which is, has plenty of value, which I'm going to get to in a bit in a second. But he also, you know, the last four years, his games played 162, 162, 158, 151. The guy stays healthy. You're going to say you're getting me all hot and bothered now. Cause I, I do enjoy seeing people bandaged and, sitting up on tables and uh, in tubs of various fluids and ices. <laughs> Are you telling me I might not get that with Freddie Galvis? <laughs> well, knowing the Blue Jays' luck of, of late, we might. But, you know, I, I think that that's something of, you know, that's important. And, and the reason I mentioned this and why I mentioned the fielding is I think that there's going to be a a fringe benefit or even the intentional benefit of this signing where if things don't drastically improve this season, which you know, they certainly can. I mean, it's possible that we just don't know what else they're going to do before the season starts, but then they're probably going to be looking to move Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, Ken Giles, guys of that type at the deadline because they'll have more valuable now, more value now than they will a year from now. Their numbers will look a lot better with a good shortstop. Ground ball city, right? Yeah, I mean, Giles less so. He's a big power pitcher, but mm -hmm. especially the starters. Stroman and Sanchez are extreme ground ballers, and, you know, especially if Vlad comes up at third, and he seems his hands are fine from all reports, but, you know, he's not the quickest. 
having a guy at short who can be a bit of a vacuum is going to be a big help. It it sounds like a plan. It does. It it doesn't sound like there's really a championship in there anywhere, but you know, it's a plan regardless. So yeah, it's a one-year deal with an option. I mean, this is clearly just to help the transition this year. Although it's really interesting what it's going to do to the rest of the infield. I mean, so Vlad, we all know Vlad's not starting the season on the, on the roster. It would be shocking if he did. But he's going to be up reasonably quickly, at which point they'll have Galvis at short, Vlad at third, and then Drury, Travis, and Gurriel for third, second base. And, and those are just the guys who we believe are major league ready at, at second base. There's always the possibility of, you know, Richard Urania or someone in the, the someone else in the minors making a, a big jump next year. That's a crowded second base spot. I think most teams would be feeling a bit awkward at this point. Yeah, I think that there's a decent chance that Travis could go to the minors in that situation. Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. I muted the microphone to save our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and no, obviously that would be unfortunate given what we all hoped Travis would turn into, but he hasn't really been as strong the last couple of years. And I think that not playing every day could be less ideal. The other option would be, though, to turn Guriel and just to a super sub and have him playing all around the field and Drury and Travis sharing time at the infield and, you know, alternating with, with, uh, Vlad at third and Guriel stepping in at shortstop sometimes. So I, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. It certainly does depend on the manager's whims as well. And we don't know much about how to Charlie Montoya likes to move guys around or how, how comfortable he is with, with rotating guys on a, you know, a utility basis uh, and, and giving them breaks. So that should be interesting. Yeah. So we, we did have that counter move, as, as we've said, pretty much every move now that, that goes on, we're going to have to see someone leave the 40-man roster, and a familiar name uh, left the 40-man for a designated for assignment, Danny Barnes. Yeah, I did not have him in my pool. Dang it. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, Danny Barnes was really quite good for the bulk of 20... 16 and 2015 uh, 17 sorry you know especially 2017 you know he was he got hurt a bit in 2016 you know he ended up with you know 355 ERA in 2017 and 62 strikeouts 66 innings but last year you know his stinginess with hits went away and he had some knee issues but he just he didn't get get a lot of outs and and you know like if you're not throwing gas you're not going to get a ton of chances if you're if you're not putting up the numbers and the number is what 10 days for someone to claim or or find him huh <laughs> that's not what i meant but <laughs> but, but it's interesting you bring that up though because i think there's a real chance he could stay in the organization well he's he's right-handed he's like you said he doesn't throw gas um and he's a reliever uh, I figure a lot of organizations have a lot of those guys floating around right now, and nobody wants to use up a 40-man spot for one, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I, I would really like if they can hold on to him because he has had a ton of success, and you know, if he can find whatever went awry last year, if he, then he could still be a useful piece. But what was most interesting to me about this is the name that it wasn't, which I, I think you might be able to guess who I was thinking. Does it begin with a D and end with an Alton Pompey? <laughs> hmm. I don't know what you mean by that, but it was Dalton Pompey. Uh, <laughs> I've, yeah, we, we, we've been speculating a long time. Does the organization love or hate Dalton Pompey? Yeah, and I mean, and I think that when we put it in terms like that, it's probably a bit crude. And, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of nuance to it. And I think that, when we discussed this, I think it was either the last podcast or the one before it, we sort of thought maybe they like him more than the public perception is. I think this definitely is an argument in favor of that. Yeah, I, I think this definitely says that they see something in Dalton Pompey when, like you said, Danny Barnes has been a useful major league piece in the role that he is has been assigned. Um, Dalton Pompey has not, unfortunately, due to circumstances which are, I, I would argue, somewhat beyond his control. But the org kept him and gave up on Danny Barnes, at least temporarily. 
Uh, again, now that could be strategizing, like you said. It could be that Danny Barnes is not someone who's going to get picked up on on a DFA, whereas they believe that Dalton Pompey would be a valuable commodity to some other team as a fourth outfielder. And well, again, uh, I actually think that's a big part of it. And also, he's out of options, right? So theoretically, if they don't plan on having him break camp with the team, which I think there's a good case to to do that, as in to bring him north, if he doesn't, it might be easier, they think, to get him through waivers at the end of spring training when teams have already set their rosters than to do it, you know, in end of January. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Um, we'll find out, though, as spring training goes on, I guess. Yep. So we're going to move to the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, not about rookies and prospects and all that other stuff, but about Hall of Famers, because the baseball... Hall of Fame did a bunch of things that I think they, I mean, this year, if they got something right, if they had a shot to get something right, they they got things right. And one of the things that they got right was inducting Roy Halladay on the first ballot. Let's clarify, this is the writers, not the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't like to give the Hall of Fame credit for anything because they keep screwing things up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The writer's ballot um, was exemplary this year in in a way that I think, um, you know, I read an article that said it's an evolving Hall of Fame debate, and then they they didn't really understand some of the things that they were talking about. But I think it is an evolving <laughs> uh, baseball writers crop that they have, having purged some of the old names and have, uh, adding a bunch of people that I know and respect as writers to that list of people who are allowed to vote after that 10 year um, consistent writing period. So Mariano. OK, we'll start with Halliday. The good news is he's in. The news that people were disappointed by is the family and the hall, and again, I don't know if you're going to blame this one on the hall, um, decided to put him in a in a cap with no logo. What's your personal take on that? Okay, the, the, there's no blame towards the hall, and blame is even the right, isn't even the right word. This is entirely, you know, the family's wishes. This is this is what Brandy Holiday wanted. She said that he was representative of MLB, not just any one team. And, you know, that's fine. Like, and, and I think that there's sort of a a misunderstanding that's out there. And I think that uh, Dow Steve actually covered this very well, this idea that it's actually really okay to be disappointed by this because, you know, the idea of looking forward to Roy Holiday with a Blue Jays hat on his plaque in Cooperstown has been something that Blue Jays fans have had since he was traded in 2010 or actually probably since 2002 or three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's very reasonable to be disappointed, but to be upset about that, I think is probably taking it a bit far because in the end it's meaningless and it really doesn't do anything to our memories of holiday when he was in Toronto, because you know, we still have those. I think, um, I think it it is awfully selfish of people to decide whether or not that was appropriate when, when the holiday family has their own decision about whether or not that's appropriate. But on top of that, I don't think it's very reasonable to assume he was a, uh, you know, a Blue Jay only because of the number of things he accomplished as a Philly. I think it would be kind of disrespectful to that organization. I mean, they they traded for him. They, um, you know, they saw him in the playoffs, which the Blue Jays were never able to get him there. Um, Saw him throw. Uh, a no hitter in the playoffs. They saw him throw his perfect game in that uniform. Like it's just crazy to think that none of those accomplishments have anything to do with yeah. with who Roy Halladay was as a player. I, I mean, I agree that those are a huge part of his legacy. But I, I I do think that if he was going in with a cap and they just left it up to the Hall of Fame, it would be the Blue Jays and it wouldn't be close. He spent ten years here and four there. It's kind of oh yeah. So so, but at the same time. If the hall had just said we wouldn't, we can't decide. We don't, you know, we don't want to have him representative of a team. It would be like that would maybe be something that could bug people. But his family saying this is what we think is best representative. How can you argue with that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so the other Hall of Fame inductees this year was uh, again. I think all good news. Number one, Mariana Rivera, who. I know whether or not you agree a relief pitcher should be in the Hall of Fame. If you make an allowance for one relief pitcher, it probably is Mariano Rivera. Uh, and he was a unanimous selection for the first time ever. So that ridiculous tradition has died. Yeah, Buster only tried to make it worse by saying that they could create an inner circle of Hall of Famers by people who get 100% going forward. It's like, God, no. The idea is that no one should care about 100% anymore. That's the whole point. Deserving ultra 
the Hall of Famer, Mariano Rivera, got 100% because you can't not vote for Mo, just as you could not vote for Ken Griffey Jr. or Ricky Henderson or 100 players going back in time, but people somehow did. Yeah. I think finally, like that evolving hall thing, you finally got that one. There was nobody willing to stick their neck out and be that doofus who was not going to vote for Mariano Rivera. Even the guy who came out publicly and said he was going to not vote at all because he didn't think he should vote for Mo ended up voting and voting for Mo. I did see that. Yes, <laughs> it's awesome. Total reversal. Okay, so that was that was one that things got right by uh, done right by the writers. Uh, Edgar Martinez, who is the greatest designated hitter of all time, and he was not a horrible third baseman when he was a third baseman, uh, is a Hall of Famer on his last kick at the can, uh, which I think is entirely appropriate because I mean, there's been a designated hitter in the game since before I was alive, and I'm not a young man. Isn't it time that we acknowledge that those guys and their contributions are legit? Yes. Yes, it is. That was nicely self-answered. <laughs> and then the last one, which was a bit of a surprise, which I think also is, is not unlike Halliday's candidacy, is um, Mike Messina was inducted. Just. Yeah, barely see, inducted. like Mike Messina deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question. Well, I guess there's some question, but... I, I don't like Mike Messina as a fan because nope. of the CEO thing in 1993, but I still would have voted for him. Yeah, well, that's me too. I'm like, Mike Messina never did a thing for me. He was always in the wrong place at the wrong time for the Blue Jays. I totally get that. You would not personally. And I don't even know if he's a nice person, but certainly just the fact that he did not have the right number of like 20 win seasons or something. It was a ridiculous reason to be gatekeeping on Mike Messina, who was a dominant pitcher for his entire career, as I remember it. Yep. Um, am I forgetting somebody? No, that's no. the four. We don't we need to four. talk about the today's game nonsense because I think we did that before. Anyway. Yes, we did. We banged it up. Uh, so <laughs> um, this also positions Larry Walker after having a ridiculous amount of gains this year. Uh, if he can pull off the same stunt next year uh, um, and, and with some more new writers coming on board, maybe there are a few people who are going to help him out. He he could very well go in on his last ballot, which would be super cool because there's also no real reason for Larry Walker to not be in the Hall of Fame. No, there really isn't. All right. Back to players who haven't even played a major league game yet. <laughs> We're ping-ponging. Top 100 lists, uh, all of which have the same name at the top. Does that happen every year? Keith Law didn't have him at number one. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's because... No, I'm not even going to say it. He, his reasoning is... I mean, the reasoning is sound, is that he thinks that Tatis is a good shortstop and that Guerrero is a DH and that Guerrero has to out-hit Tatis by 20 runs in a season every, and he thinks that Tatis is a too good a hitter for that to happen. All right, Keith. But that said, <laughs> everywhere else has Vlad number one with places talking about BA Baseball America has said that uh, Vlad would be number one. Like this version of Vlad would have been number one, nine of the last 11 years or something. I think it was they didn't have he wouldn't have been ahead of uh, Trout or Steven Strasburg. That's pretty high up. Yeah. And, you know, and that's fine. They're, they're, all of them are throwing 80 hit tools on him. I think one of them said it's like the first tier is one player. <laughs> MLB, a pipeline is putting out the thing is Vlad the greatest hitting prospect of all time. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just dumb. The um, hype is off the charts for is. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now. It is. Well, you see, MLB tweeted that Vlad was, Vlad was an electric factory. So... Uh, I, <laughs> that that led to some fun Twitter because I don't know what an electric factory is like <laughs> where Power you plant? make electric. Um, so I my take on that was Vlad Jr. is a quantum treadmill. I don't know what <laughs> I that, like that one. <laughs> sounds. Sounds good, though, doesn't it? It does. I think we should start calling him that. <laughs> there should have been our tagline home of the, the hype for the quantum treadmill or something like that. People would have to look up what the heck I was talking about. <laughs> Don't make him work for the tagline. The tagline should be easy. <laughs> Fair enough. So, okay, other than number one, who have we seen show up among the Blue Jays' names that we give a, a hoot about? So there was consensus among three players. Bo Bichette was a top 15 or so on every list. And 
Nate Pearson was usually in the you know 40s to 60s ranges. You know, it's because he didn't pitch at all last year, but it's just like this stuff is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, BP, our home, on their podcast talking about this. Jared Seidler was like, you know, it's the best stuff in baseball in the minor <laughs> leagues. But, you know, there's tons of injury and reliever risk, so they couldn't rank them that high. But, you know, the stuff is real. Surprisingly, Danny Jansen was on all of the lists except one. Keith Laws? You- <laughs> yes. Well, Keith Laws, he made, the, he made the just missed at 107, though. So it's still, it's, it's essentially the same thing as being 89 on BA's list, for example. Sorry, did you ever notice that Keith Law used to, he used to do a top twenty-five list of something, and I'm pretty sure it was Keith. And people would ask him about so and so, and and he would go, he was just off my list at twenty-six. But if you followed his Twitter feed like consistently, he would say that to at least six or seven different people who were asking about some some middling prospect that they wanted to be on the list. He was always the same. Oh, he's at twenty-six. That's funny. So I'm glad he gave <laughs> he gave Jansen an actual rank of one hundred and seven, not one hundred and one. Yeah, no, he went to 110 this year, and he, actually Jansen peaked at 42 on BA on Baseball America's list. But uh, it, he he clearly likes Jansen. And Mac Keith Law as, as Mac, what is, as a, a matter, matter of, of fact, fact. <laughs> we got we don't have a a timer ticking down. You can say all the words. <laughs> I can try to say all the words, <laughs> but uh, he was on Danny Jansen three four years ago before he actually broke out. So he does like Jansen. He just thinks that the the defense is just enough to keep him out of that top tier, which it's not unreasonable. Again, he still has him in the top one ten. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 right now. Uh, it seems like a system that is producing some fruit, which is uh, something we haven't seen from the Blue Jay system with a lot of consistency in the past. Yeah, and then there were a few other names that popped up here and there. Eric Pardino, the seventeen year old who was in low in low A ball, or I wish he might have been the Appalachian League, but uh, he appeared on both Baseball America and MLB Pipelines list. And then Baseball America added two more. They added first round pick from last year, Jordan Groshans, and our guest, <laughs> Kevin Smith. Our guest is a baseball player? It happens sometimes. I had a question about mall rats, and I had some things I wanted to know about Jay and Silent. I'm going to have to... Okay. Okay, before we go to the interview, <laughs> <laughs> um, when BA put their list out, uh, Tor- uh, you know, Blue Jays Twitter personality, Clint, at ClintB underscore, he tried to do emoji versions of the of the players on the list, and he couldn't think of one for Kevin Smith. And then people started doing Silent Bob versions of emojis. Mm. And Kevin weighed in. <laughs> he showed up. He, he weighed in with his version of the Silent Bob emoji, which is the, the person putting the, the, like the shh motion in front of him. <laughs> oh, well. Um, yeah, we're probably going to be hearing a lot more of that if things pan out for Kevin. But why don't we talk to him in person rather than uh, going on and on about his his uh, the fact that you cannot Google him without adding Blue Jays afterwards. Uh, We're going to talk to Blue Jays prospect Kevin Smith right after this. And we are very pleased to be joined by uh, Blue Jays uh, draftee and uh, prospect Kevin Smith. Welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, Kevin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You guys, uh, you guys up in Toronto. You guys staying warm up there? <laughs> yes, and then definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. I'm you... in New York right now, so I'm feeling it a little bit. <laughs> it's been a ridiculous couple of days, and we're we're told tomorrow's going to get worse. So, but it, yeah. yeah, all I can say I is at least negative we're... thirteen here tomorrow. Oh, geez, that's that's colder than here. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I was gonna say at least we're not in you know Chicago, which is like minus forty or something. Yeah, I saw some stat that said it was gonna be colder in Chicago than Antarctica tomorrow. I don't know if it's true, but <laughs> just that it's close is brutal. Indeed. Um, so I, I, I was kind of wondering. You are from New York. Had you ever been to Canada before you were drafted by Canada's team? No, I actually I've never been out of country before. 
I was drafted. So um, I actually had to get a passport when I got picked up. When I got picked up, I didn't even have one. So I had to run down and get one within two weeks. And then I actually spent um, a week over in the DR for, I think, my first offseason with the Blue Jays down there. I think we were down there for like 10 days or so. Um, so that was the first time I've been out of country. And then uh, two weeks ago was the first time I've been to Toronto. Oh, wow. Yeah, for, for Winterfest, right? Yeah, yeah, I was up there for two, for about a week. So um, that was the first time I've been to Canada, and then um, obviously Toronto. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool while I was up there too. So it's uh, hopefully it gets a little warmer when the season comes around. <laughs> oh, you'll you'll <laughs> hate the humidity. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it'll be nice. Oh though. yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's very similar in New York. Yeah, it is. So uh, going back to that that draft period, I mean, your time at Maryland, you started to hit for a little more power towards your last year, and then your first. Uh, so, you know, foray into pro ball, but you took a real big home run spike, especially this past season, hitting 25 home runs across 129 games. I think it was, was there a, a change in your approach that led to that? Or was it some sort of just natural development? Um, not really. I mean, in college, I really started focusing on my swing and, and my approach. I knew if I wanted to play, you know, in the big leagues, I would have to, I would have to hit a, hit a little better. So, um, I've always kind of been defensive oriented and um, that's just from when I was younger. I was a small kid and coming from upstate New York, you know, I played for the South Troy Dodgers and, and my coaches would always let me know, like if I wanted to get looked at and, and I wanted to make it to the next level, which I wanted to play D1, I'd have to be good defensively. So um, growing up, it was always, you know, defense first, work a lot on defense and, and kind of let the rest take care of itself. And then obviously when I got to that next level, it was like, all right, what do I have to do to get to the next level? And, you know, for me, that was, that was hitting. And, you know, it wasn't really like a thing of, Hey, I want to hit homers. Um, you know, I want to have some power and be able to drive the ball like everybody does, but um, it was more of just kind of a natural development. I started really in college of working on my swing and my approach and, and be able to drive balls and learn some biomechanics and how the body works and, and what I'm trying to do with each pitch. And, um, last year just kind of started to get together a little bit more. I work with, you know, Matty Young up in Lansing a bunch. And I actually was just in Dallas a week hitting with him. Um, but he helped me a lot. And, and G, our coordinator last year, who now is the, head, or now is the hitting coach uh, up in Toronto. Um, you know, we talked about a few, you know, a few tweaks from my swing that might let me hit the ball a little more solid, a little more, um, a percentage of the time. And, uh, you know, it seemed to work out pretty well. So uh, I'm excited to kind of see how it goes this year. Indeed. Um, so you talking about that difficulty, um, you know, learning yourself and, and getting better for yourself. But as you've been getting uh, through each season, you got promoted in the middle of a season. How do you feel about the difficulty change um, as you get up to that next level? Is is that something that, that that you have to factor in or it takes time or is that also part of a natural progression? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they're not going to promote you if they don't think that you can be successful at the next level. So, um, you know, I think getting promotions is, is something to be excited about, especially just being against better competition. I mean, you know, you're working your whole life to be one of the best, you know, top 30 whatever position players in the world. And so, you know, being able to play against other guys that are in the same boat and it's just kind of preparing you for where you want to go. So I don't, I don't really look at it as, you know, something that, you know, I get scared over that I worry about, um, you know, they, the Blue Jays are going to put you where they think you'll be successful. And you just got to go in there with the confidence and, and know that you put the work in, you're prepared, um, you know, and it's not, not knocking the competition. I mean, there's going to be great players and great pitchers, no matter where you're at. Um, we saw it in Lansing with Hunter Green, you know, first round pick a year or two ago. So, um, you know, we face good guys all the way up and they'll get promoted with you. And, um, I think it's more just comes down to, you know, making sure you're getting better every day and every step that you take, you're getting better and progressing your game so you can stay ahead of the curve. Do you have some sense of, uh, or did you, I should say in this past season of like that, Oh, I think I'm going to be moving up soon just based on how well you were hitting in Lansing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't really focused on it to be honest with you. Um, we had a few guys get called up before me and, and they were, killing it i mean the first month or so the guys that called up they were having a great year and um i was just kind of getting into the groove and working with maddie on a few things and nothing really cl like clicked yet so i wasn't really you know that focused on it and then obviously i started to to go off a little bit and feel a little more comfortable and, and getting some better pitches to hit and 
you know, we had teammates getting all over the place and I was hitting, you know, hitting guys in that were doubles and triples in front of me. Um, and then it just kind of happened. I mean, a few guys kind of, you know, pulled me off the side and we, we talked about it a little bit, but I wasn't really focused on that. I love the guys up in Lansing. We were having a lot of fun. Um, you know, that was like a family up there. So I was never really concerned about it. And then, I mean, I really didn't know until the day of, um, I think I like after a day game, they told me, so I had about 10 hours to get my stuff together and move down to Dunedin. But, um, no, it wasn't really anything I was really worried about. Yeah, well, hey, so, um, yeah, that's obviously good that it's not on your mind so much. Cause I can imagine that would be a little tough if you're expecting it doesn't happen. Right. Uh, so, you know, the season ended, it was obviously a very successful one. And then you had, as you mentioned earlier on in the show where you came up to Canada for about a week, but before that you, you, and I think it was 10 or so other prospects went to Fort Benning, which is where the army Rangers train. And can you uh, sort of say like, what did you expect when they, when you were told you were going there? Yeah. So I think the first thing that was cool is that, you know, we all volunteered to go there. Um, they called a certain amount of guys and, you know, they had a list and they would call and, and say, Hey, we have this opportunity for you. They didn't have a schedule. They didn't tell us what we were going to be doing. Um, it was a very generic, like, Hey, we're going here with the Rangers and you know, you're not going to have a schedule. You're not going to know what you're doing the whole time, bring a few t-shirts. And if you want to go, then you're in, um, give, you know, get pretty much calls back when you want to do it. And myself, I think everybody else that went, um, immediately said they were in and so you know that was a cool thing for me knowing that we had so many guys in the organization that wanted to go and and take a week out of the off season to go to somewhere where they had no idea what was going to happen you know what we were going to be doing what the experience was going to be like but they knew that they it was going to be important to the org and to their teammates to kind of be there and, and kind of take it in and kind of bring it back you know bring back lessons to the other guys what we learned so i think that was the biggest that was the coolest thing for me was that the guys that want that got picked all said, yeah, I'm, I'm in right away. Um, and you know, when we got there, it was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, I can't even summarize it really in, in five minutes, the stuff that we did and some stuff we can't really talk about, which is cool to have, have that stuff. But, um, you know, we did a lot of teamwork stuff. We did a lot of leadership stuff. And I think the coolest part for a lot of guys was just talking to, to sergeants and to colonels about, you know, the culture there and, and what they try to, what they try to do with, with the Rangers and, and how prepared they have to be in their training, you know, and why they train the way they do, why their culture is the way that it is, you know, why they have certain rules, why, you know, they hang out 24 seven and why trust is so important when you're trying to do something special. And, um, you know, I think the whole time they were there is really trying to figure out, okay, like they do all this stuff, which is great, but how can we implement into that, into our clubhouse and into the Toronto Blue Jays organization, into our culture, um, to help us win a world championship. So, I mean, it was cool to be with, be there with those guys that were all willing to kind of take that leap and um, and go learn for a week. And actually in Toronto, we kind of shared our thoughts and, and how we felt coming out of that with the other guys that were there. And uh, they were really interested in it too. We kind of talked for a while about it. So it's kind of cool to see all these young guys coming up that really want to influence the culture and really want to do something special um, once they get to the show. That's, that's very cool. Oh, actually... He actually, uh, at a season ticket event at the the Winterfest, uh, he was speaking to the crowd and he was talking about this, about all of you guys going to Fort Benning. And I guess he, he made it sound like you specifically really got something out of it. And it, based on what you just said, it sounds like you have this idea that it's going to lead to a culture that can lead to a championship. Did you really, going into this, expect that the organization would put that kind of focus on culture? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, ever since I've been, I was drafted by the Jays. I mean, even in spring training, my first year and throughout the year and then obviously going to this one, we knew that culture was going to be a big part of it. Um, I think, I think a lot of organizations and teams in general, um, will kind of put an emphasis on it, but really don't mean it. You know, it's easy to say, Hey, we need a good culture. We want to have a good culture. We want a winning culture. We want to win a championship. And then it's another thing to kind of, empower the people that are going to make it happen, you know, with the tools and experiences and resources to kind of create our own culture. And they're putting a lot into our hands of, of what we want the culture to be like. And, um, you know, especially a lot of younger guys who are going to be there this year um, who, or who made it last year, like they're all, they're bought in on it. And I'm excited to see kind of what they, what they run with and how, how they operate it this year. 
Um, but we always knew it was kind of, you know, a thing that they wanted. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of talk about culture and not a lot of kind of doing it and putting it in play. So I think that's going to be the biggest difference is, you know, teams that actually put put what they're learning and, and, and how they feel the clubhouse should be and how, how uh, preparation should happen and, you know, off the field choices when they can take, you know, what you're supposed to be doing and what you actually do. That's kind of when special things start to develop. So we all know that there are a vast number of minor leaguers toiling away, making the whole system sort of work, and, and all of them want to play in the bigs one day. And and obviously there there is one name, Vlad Jr., that has been on Blue Jays fans' lips, even if they have no idea about the minor leagues. But as time has gone on, I think um, yourself and, and uh, Nate Pearson and Bo Bichette and, and uh, uh, Kevin Biggio, all... all more and more people are starting to know those names and, and you're showing up on, you know, top 100 prospect list or top prospect list at this position. Is that something that you get a kick out of? Is that something you don't pay any attention to at all? Um, what does that mean to you? Well, first off, Vlad's a stud. Um, he's just <laughs> ridiculous. He's going to be fun to watch this year. Uh, same can go for Bo and, and Kevin and obviously Nate throwing 103 or 104. He did in the fall league. Um, now I think Nate was just over at driveline to get in a slider, like driveline has stopped helping these pitchers out. It's kind of getting ridiculous, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't pay attention to it much. I mean, growing up, I was never on lists. I think I paid attention to lists more when I wasn't on them. Um, I think in high school I was, I wasn't even on any list for shortstop. So I would always get the perfect game list and post it on my wall and uh, look at it when my name wasn't on it. But as I started kind of getting on these things, like, it's not going to make me a better player. It's not going to help me this year. It's not going to help me win a championship or get to the big. So um, I just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's awesome to be recognized and the other names that are on there, you know, those great players. It's cool to kind of see yourself in that, in that category. But to me, it's not really what I've ever been about. I've never been on them. So I never really put any credibility into them anyway. Most of the guys never even saw me play before. So, um, you know, Obviously, when you have someone like Vladdy, who's been, you know, number one overall prospect for a few years, that says something. But, you know, for the other guys, how, how it fluctuates and goes up and down, you know, you never know where you're going to be at. So um, I think spending too much time on that can kind of take away from the important stuff, like getting better this offseason, getting in the weight room and, and meeting with teammates and hanging out and having a good time where, you know, you, you get focused on the wrong things. It can go downhill pretty quick. That's that's. uh Food for thought, definitely. Well, Kevin, I appreciate all the time that you have spent with us because it has been, and I think enlightening is is uh, is the right word for it. So I really do appreciate you stopping by Artificial Turf Wars. Silly question, do you have a Twitter account? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's, uh, it's KJS underscore four. Um, <laughs> you, probably won't get, you probably won't get any, any crazy tweets at me but you'll get you'll get some funny ones here and there with some some big time names so all right kjs <laughs> underscore four yep we'll see if we can give you the artificial turf wars bump although i understand that's about <laughs> four people <laughs> hey they all count man <laughs> all right you have a good night thanks again appreciate it thanks guys And welcome back. Yes, I, uh, I, you know, I, I like the idea of interviewing Kevin Smith, but that was enlightening. I, that was hardly the disappointment I thought when he wasn't a world famous writer and director. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, just sticking with that joke. Keep up the bit. I like it. <laughs> I, no, I promise the, it won't be the last time if he ever gets called out. No, but I mean, the stuff about the culture and, you know, like the idea that it usually just gets paid lip service and he, and he, he feels that it's really happening. It, that's kind of neat. It will be interesting to see if that can literally translate into something because there, there is a, a lot of, uh, you know, the people study workplace productivity and all that kind of stuff a lot, but then you do, you know, get one study that says this works this way. And then you get another study that says, well, that didn't really work at all. That was, you know, you should have done it this way. So I think it'll be interesting to see where, where that takes them it's, it's clearly something that was not a focus like even five years ago yeah and i guess this is sort of that question we got on a recent podcast episode where we talked about the idea of culture i guess the minor league level is being treated differently and you know just to sort of ties to our last guest kyle Bodie of driveline it's just trying to make 
player development better, which is a massive way to gain an advantage. Indeed. But we have other things on our mind, including your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? All right, our first question comes to us via email, I am told. Yes, from patron Colleen Evans. Thanks, as always, for your patronage, Colleen. We really appreciate it. So she sent an email, which was in reference to this new podcast from Astros Pictures, Colin McHugh and Lance McCullers, which is really good, by the way. And she says, at the 31-minute mark, they discussed the state of baseball and how the sports narrative needs heroes and villains. They see Bryce Harper as a current villain. And... You know, Colleen said she loves how this gives some context to the careers of Batista and Donaldson being handled as bil- villains. And she was wondering if we see any of the young players being able to shoulder the villain role. <laughs> uh, I can just imagine that conversation in the clubhouse. Uh, we need you to be a bit of a heel. Do you think you can? <laughs> <laughs> it's getting dull. Can you can you crank it up a little bit? Um, I think anybody who is really, really dangerous can afford to embrace their inner bad guy um, when it comes to, you know, facing other teams. And I don't think they end up as villains, you know, on their, on their own team most of the time. So I think, I think Vlad Jr. is the one who you could look to because he doesn't have to do anything to be a villain. He just has to go up there and hit and look mean. Except he doesn't look mean. He's always smiling and having fun. Yeah, until he steps in the box and you try and sneak a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. <laughs> I don't think he's smiling then. Um, do you, you be smiling after he gets to third. But <laughs> Yeah, you obviously have a better pick. I don't know that I do. And that's sort of, you know, the, 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 this group that the Blue Jays have, these young players, you know, they're excitable. So I guess, like, the people who get angry about bat flips might have some problem with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Boba Shatt and... You know, like they're very excitable players, and you, you know, like you saw when Vlad hit that walk off against Montreal, Boba Bo was jumping like ten feet in the air in excitement, and you know that's it's guys who have fun with the game, and I think that you know sometimes that rubs people the wrong way because people are boring and don't like fun for some reason. Like Javi Baez, people don't like Javi Baez, and how can you not like Javi Baez? That. His glove is is so amazing. It's just so amazing to watch tagging. I've never seen it. Yeah, you can watch a a, comp, a compilation of Javi Baez tags, and it's actually entertaining. Yeah, but there's no. How could you not like that? A guy who literally does something so well that nobody's ever thought to do it well enough to be a highlight reel thing before. It's amazing. Yeah, but I mean, this sort of goes back to what we were talking about with uh, with Kevin and this idea of selling culture and and being certain kind kinds of people and players. You know, coming up, it's not about, you know, saying don't flip your bat and all that. It's just about being like a good person and being a good member of the community. And when you are that, it's hard to be a villain. Well, it is really. And I mean, I'm used to the villains being on the the Yankees and the Red Sox because of the rivalry and because the teams are very good and they're very highly paid. And then Mookie Betts shows up. They mic him live in a spring training game. And while he's discussing (laughs) the ball hit over his head, he actually says, I ain't getting this one, guys, to the announcers. And I'm like, how could I hate that guy? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about that when it happened. It, it, it was just pure fun. So, I guess back to the the, the question. I I don't know. I, I just don't really see the the villain in this group. Well, maybe one will reveal himself. All in good time. Um. All right. So, question number two. Believe it or not, we finally got to question number two. Andrew Arnold at Arnie underscore twelve. Bases loaded, two out, down by a run. Kimbrel pitching. What Jays past or present middle infielder would you rather be in the batter's box? John McDonald, Ryan Goins, or Freddie Galvis? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun little exercise in terror. Because sometimes I mean, that happens, right? Like, you don't have control over who's up with two down at the bottom of the ninth. Absolutely. And I think... The answer is probably Ryan Goins, just because he at least has in the past shown the ability to take a walk. And this is... And you know, hit a is, ninth inning rock-off home run, huh? 
Yeah, not off of <laughs> Craig Kimbrell, but you know, like this Kimbrell, Kimbrell is wild. So as long as the guy just go up there, it's like, look, we just be honest. We we know you're not gonna hit this. <laughs> Right. Just don't swing, and then maybe he will walk you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off the board if you'll allow me. No, I won't allow. I'm gonna you, pick but... a former Blue Jays middle infielder who has no other uh, claim to this other than that any of the other guys didn't. I'm gonna pick Munenori Kawasaki. Yeah, but you can't go off the board. That's not, it's not allowed. <laughs> I'm in charge, so it is. All right. Actually, you know what? I just look at this. Their career, their career walk percentages: Galvis five point six, McDonald five point nine, and Goins five point nine. So Mooney. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Luke at Split Letters has a question. He says, "Does Bo get the Vlad treatment this year and get held down, or do they bring him up once he's ready? Assuming, of course, no setbacks." I think this will depend on two things. First, obviously, Bo has to rake in AAA. And also, it'll depend on where the Jays are developmentally when they get towards the end of the season. If the young guys that the Jays have now on the, on the roster, you know, like Lourdes Gurriel, Tusker Hernandez, Billy McKinney, if they don't show strides and that they've taken steps forward to make it look like the team could potentially try to be good in 2020, I think Bo stays down. But if they do show that... I think it behooves the team to have Bo come up to see what that group can be and whether it's worth really adding to them in the offseason. All right. I will hit you with another one. Ben Tusim at B Tusim says, Would you have preferred Adiani Hechevaria as a glove? Did I say that right for once? Adani? Adani? As a glove first shortstop on a short term short term deal over Galvis. Hashtag Bell Lots Talk. I mean that is it's good included that in the tweet we we did that in our tweet that went out um it's a no. fancy glove it's not better than Galvis I don't think I think they're they're both pretty good defensive shortstops but you know at least Galvis has power you know so that when he's playing he might be able to at least hit you a home run because her Echeverria is just not a good hitter at all did you ever feel like Hechevaria was just AA signing a guy out of Cuba because he whiffed on um, Araldus Chapman? <laughs> no, I don't think that. I, I had a meeting with Paul Beeston like right after that, and he told me that when they tested Hechevaria, he had 25 vision. <laughs> it's like, so this guy is Superman. <laughs> I mean... Just because you see it doesn't mean you can hit it. No, but it does help. Indeed. All right, last one. League laughing stocks at FGHT FFY <laughs> your DMNS asks long term predictions for a Sean Reed Foley as a starter. Long man, does he have the tools to be a legit three four guy? I guess you want me to take this one too. I these are deep questions. They don't have. <laughs> they, they, do, did I loan you the crystal ball this week? <laughs> it's in the shop uh, uh, that's the Michael Wonder quote right uh, yep I mean predictions I don't know I mean uh, I could see him being a back of the rotation guy or or a reliever I think those are absolutely possible it's hard to predict what's going to happen with a guy like him but does he have the tools to be a legit 3-4 guy yeah I mean we saw that in his brief time in the big leagues last year he gets swings and misses and can hold his stuff deep in games it's just all about control for him so if he can hone his control and his command then he's absolutely a, a mid-rotation starter but if not then he's probably a reliever i would just like to point out i've been distracted from your answer by the fact that the league laughing stocks account has a crying jordan in an ottawa senators logo hat as his twitter avi uh and is followed by jose bautista because i'm not oh i was just gonna say because aren't we all but no josh is uh Josh has avoided the embarrassment of being followed by Jose Bautista. Uh, yeah. All right, I am going to. Uh, that is. Is there one more question? Did I miss no, one? No, that's it. No, that is it. All right, so I'm going to fire it up. I'm going to fire it up with a little musical interlude, a little different than I normally do. Stevie Wonder. Oh, oh, oh. 
I can't go much longer, but uh, copyright infringement or something. But that that <laughs> that is a guy in a mask on a Korean singing show, and that's the original Man in the Mask singing show. And this would be completely irrelevant uh, to everything Blue Jays and baseball baseball oriented, except except that person in the mask turns out to be someone we know very well. And I am going to give him one of these. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. He did earn it. He earned it by Eric Thames. <laughs> earned it <laughs> by going to Korea and not only singing Isn't She Lovely in a duet and sounding darn good, uh, he also sung a, a song entirely in Korean, which I don't think I could get, like, three lines into a Korean song. He sang Americano by 10 centimeters entirely in Korean uh, on the show. So... I don't even know where you find the time to be that talented, but that is super awesome. Eric Thames has some pipes. <laughs> no, he has and, guns. And, you know, <laughs> no, no, he, he's got, yeah, but we've heard pipes about his muscles, but he's got, he can sing. <laughs> he's got everything. What is he, I mean, why is he even in America? Other than, I guess, the paycheck. Um, maybe, maybe it's mostly the paycheck. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Sung yeah. Min Kim tweeted this out at Sung underscore Min Kim. Check it out. It was from January 20th. Uh, he has several clips from the show of uh, the Korean audience being quite enamored of of Mr. Thames here. I'm enamored. <laughs> he also uh, also tests out those those other pipes that you were talking about by lifting one woman on each arm uh, and, <laughs> and other feats of strength. It, yeah, he's big. <laughs> Korean TV is different. Uh, but 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 wholesome in its own way and fun so yeah you get a gold star eric uh even if i don't even know if you won the show i don't know what you get if you win the the man in the mask singing competition i'm not familiar but you certainly uh you we all won greg well yeah the the real prize was the friends we made along the way of course ah <sighs> i i almost want to end it there but now i feel like we should go back to an interesting comment from um mark spiral Said, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, we we uh, uh, talked briefly about the the Diamond Talks, and um, we talked about it even with Kevin Smith. And later in the in that discussion, someone asked a question. Uh, I don't even remember what it was about. It, it eventually led to Shapiro talking about just like he's like, I want to be able to sleep at night, and like when he's talking about the types of players he wants. And then he said, "Quote: We don't, or I mean, I might be paraphrasing, but essentially this." We don't want players that abuse women. We don't want players that treat fans like crap. And then we don't want the players who, when they get into the ballpark, they treat the janitor or the attendants like, you know, like bad people. Essentially saying they want good people. But that first line, we don't want players that abuse women, was the one that obviously registered with a lot of people. Well, yeah, because when the situation with Roberto Osuna and uh, the, the obvious trouble that, um, his whole uh, assault charge caused. Um, the Blue Jays never said, we don't want Robert, Roberto Osuna on this team. And they started saying that magically after they traded him. And, and I think there is, uh, you know, there's the feeling that there might be a little hypocrisy there. And there's a feeling that there might, do you, do you give them a pass because they're, they're trying to maximize what they get out of, out of a player that they clearly don't want anything to do with? Like, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you want the team to play it though. I mean, I do give them a pass in the sense of like, they still have a job to do in terms of making the team good. So as long, and apparently according to Keith Law, there are some CBA rules about what they're allowed to say while he's still under suspension. But I mean, they never condoned it. I mean, yeah, Atkinson, he's our closer was a little, you know, shady and he was rightfully taken to task for that. But at the same time, if they knew that he was never going to play in the organization again and they didn't want him to, I'm still glad that they were able to get something back so that, you know, like we got Ken Giles and two good prospects sent coming towards Toronto out of that trade. And I think that actions speak louder than words at times. I mean, this idea that like he, they traded one of the best young players the team has ever had in the, in the release and relief role. And 
you know, they traded him for what people thought was not equivalent value. I actually happen to think it was, but you know, he didn't pitch again for the team. And I think that that says that they just did not want him around. So the, I don't think it's just lip service. I don't think he's just saying this for the crowd because he wasn't. I mean, it was it wasn't like this was recorded or there were any cameras. He was speaking honestly. So I, I think that he means it. Which is good. I think going forward, though, if there is another situation where a player is not behaving up to what what he considers the the standards of the community, I think he's you know having been on the record more or less with stuff like that. Now that he's going to you know the team is going to get a lot less leeway with with how they. Uh, treat a player who is suspended or how they treat an accusation um, or a you know a player who doesn't report even something as simple as that I think they're going to be taken to task that that it doesn't fit the culture and that they need to be right on top of those things and I I don't know if they're going to be able to to back that up yeah I mean you know in fairness in the context he wasn't saying like you know if this happens we're immediately going to release a player which you know I mean there's definitely we talked about this with Osuna, like the, the case for that and the case against that. But he was just saying, we don't want this. Like, we don't want, like, the, we don't, I, I don't want to have these players. Like, this is not what we want as an organization. So I, I think that if it happens again, which, oh God, I really hope that it oh, doesn't. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking something about the, the, the scale of what Roberto Osuna does, but, but the idea that someone is not, you know, conforming to the culture of the team um, now that I, he's I, put that out I, there. I, but I, I think that if that happens, if he's being earnest here, which I, I think I take it at face value, I think he was, again, because of the context of the conversation, I think that if that happens, they will make the same attempts to move the player. But the difference is, like, if the player's not on suspension, it's a lot easier to, to do that, you know, without operating in the shadows. I mean, you can just try to trade a player if you don't think he's what you want. And then when he goes away, people will sort of understand what happened. But it's not like it's going to be you know, a, a public thing like that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So at this point, I, uh, I will take a brief segue over to www.patreon.com slash turf pod. Um, and let you know that, uh, several times in this off season, our patrons have been privy to extra pellets episodes, which are, uh, uh, Josh and I sitting down with a topic that is not immediate like the news of the week that we do every week um and going into a bit more depth uh, usually based on suggestions from our patrons so if you're the kind of person who likes to make suggestions or uh is interested in some broader topics that we might chit chat about you can get more of us for as little as a dollar a month uh, and you can check that out once again www.patreon.com slash turf pod and it doesn't crash my browser when i visit anymore either <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we actually have one plan for next week i think unless there's again if the jays do something then that we sort of push them back but we do have a, a plan to continue what we did with the most recent episode of extra pellets all right so i would turn it over to you then for your final thought no i mean my final thought was, was sort of basically what we just talked about but you know like we're getting real close <laughs> to baseball pitchers and catchers report in like 20 days 15 days i think it's something like that 15 yeah yeah 15 we we really need to see some player movement because the two biggest free agents in since a rod are still out there i i think um yeah i think this is starting to look really really bad on ownership as a group at this point that no one wants to take a reasonable risk and sign one of the best players and you can pick either or both you know of a generation um and right now the biggest excuses the team seem to have is either the luxury tax which is really not a serious penalty or the idea that somehow there's some magical compete window opening up in two to three years that that 26 year old bryce harper will never fit into is he 26 yep yeah, the like, whole season 26. Yeah, by the time their window comes around at 29, they're going to, like, really? Like, none of these things hold water other than you're trying to turn the screws and pay players as little as possible. So I would really like that that logjam to break as well because these are the guys who do the entertaining. They deserve to get paid. Which was also the bent of my final thought. Uh, okay. All right. That means that uh, I have been... Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010 and you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem 
and Lord help me. Our guest was Kevin Smith. At KJS underscore four. You are the Lord and you have helped me. And th- <laughs> this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 128. And we'll talk at you in a couple weeks. <laughs>